0: Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, we're beginning a new uh, series today. It's a five-week message series. It'll take place during the five Sundays of Lent. It's called Covenant. It's really uh, a message series about a God who does not give up on us. Now, most weeks of the year, if you pay attention during sermon time and aren't sleeping, uh, you know that I generally challenge you to do some things. I try to tell you what you need to do. I mean, how to nurture change in your life and how to follow Christ more closely or how to maximize your relationships or how to confront temptation or how to balance your family and spiritual life. And and I know I hit this theme a lot. It's you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. And that's very simply because the Christian life is meant to be lived. The Christian life is a life of action, That's why those of you ladies that are currently in the study of the book of James probably have already figured that out. I mean, James says that we need to be doers of the word and not just merely hearers who walk away and delude ourselves. But we also need to remember that our relationship with God is not based on all of this doing. Our relationship with God is not based on all of these works or our efforts or our own goodness. Our foundation, or our relationship with God, is based on His goodness. It's God who extends mercy to us, even when we don't deserve mercy. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. That's what David the psalmist wrote. And Jesus said that God is kind to the wicked and evil. Or Paul to the Romans said, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, every one of us, from the newest little believer, Anna, to every person who lives on this planet Earth, we can have a life that is fully connected with God. Now, this comes not by promising to be good enough, because quite honestly, you'll never be good enough to get a connection with God. Um, Your life connected to God comes through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. It's just as plain and simple as that. And let me tell you something, folks. If you haven't figured it out yet, a life connected with Jesus is really a good life. I have a friend who always says, it's way cool. And I agree every time I hear that. A life in relationship to Christ is way cool. It is the best life imaginable. Now, the paradox is that it's nothing you achieve. It's nothing you earn. Rather, it's something you receive. It's a gift of God. And I can't help but be reminded of that through baptism this morning, because it talks about how God gives. I mean, God draws people in. God calls people by the Spirit. God is the one who creates that spark of faith in that little one. I mean, God is always the one who's doing it. God is the giver of every perfect gift. Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God... Yet that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the further paradox of this whole thing is that when you receive this life, and when you begin to live it out day by day, fully connected with God, you are empowered to receive a whole lot more than you ever believed. But the primary focus of this series, Covenant, is not what you can do for God. The primary focus is, what has God done for you, and what is God continuing to do for you? Now, this first covenant we're going to look at today is found in Genesis chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, we're going to get to that. Uh, It's it's kind of the tail end of the story that everybody knows. Pretty much everybody knows the story of Noah and the ark. But I want to backtrack a little bit. Go back to Genesis 6. So if you got your Bible, you can look at Genesis 6, start at verse 5, where it says, Now the Lord observed the extent of the people's wickedness, and he saw that all their thoughts were constantly or consistently and totally evil. Wow. Not very good, huh? Look what he says going on in verses 7 and 8. The Lord was sorry he ever made them. It broke his heart, and the Lord said, I will completely wipe out the human race that I have created. But the next little verse after that is interesting. It says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Isn't that interesting? God is looking down, sees the earth full of nothing but evil, wicked, bad, and nasty people. But there's one God who finds favor. Now, why did... Noah find favor. Well, let's go on. Verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless man living on the earth at that time. He consistently followed God's will, and he enjoyed a close relationship with him. Now, in other words, he was a man of faith, wasn't he? He was a man of prayer. He was a man of obedience. Now, interestingly enough, he did not have a Bible to read. There wasn't a Bible at that time. He didn't have the Ten Commandments chiseled out on some tablets. Those weren't around at that time. But he still had this desire to know God and to be known by God. He, he had this desire to do what was right. And the Bible says this made God happy. This pleased God. Let's move on. Verse 11. The earth had become corrupt in God's sight, and it was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, and he saw violence and depravity Everywhere, Pretty sad. Pretty sad again. It's at this point that God makes a very radical decision. He decides he's going to wipe out everything. He's going to kind of wash everything off the face of the earth with the exception of Noah and his family. And he's going to start all over again. Now, I remember teaching this story a long time ago, and I I had a young student ask me, uh, how can God be so cruel? That sounds pretty mean. I mean, isn't he supposed to be a loving God? Well, the answer to that question is yes. He is a loving God, and the key word here is what? God. This is his world. He created it. He sees what we're unable to see. So God does what? Tells Noah to build a boat, pretty big boat, by the way, to put two of every kind of animal on that boat. You know the story. Put him, his wife, his three boys, their wives on the ark, and to take refuge in there. And you'll see in verse 22, it says, So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. After all, he was God's man. He obeyed him. He followed him. He did exactly what he was told And then it began to rain. You know, it's interesting. Most people say it had never rained before up to that point. This is the first rain. It would have freaked people out. I mean, prior to that time, there was supposedly this canopy around the world, but now it said the heavens opened. It began to rain, and no doubt people ran around pretty excited about that. It said the fountains of the deep broke loose, and so water began gushing up out of the earth as well. And what happens? The floodwaters totally cover the earth. Every living creature that's not on the ark dies. After the rain stops, the boat floats around aimlessly for months after months after months, and eventually plops down on the top of Mount Ararat, which is in modern-day Turkey. Now, we know when it touched down, the waters began to go down and down, 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 until finally at last, Noah and his family and all the animals are allowed to leave the ark. Now, what's the very first thing that Noah did when he got off the ark? Genesis 8.20. That Noah built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed on it the animals and the birds that had been approved for that purpose. Move on a little bit further, verses 21 and 22. And the Lord was pleased with this sacrifice, said to himself, I will never again curse this earth, destroying all living things, even though people's thoughts and actions are bent towards evil from their childhood. As long as the earth remains, there will be springtime and harvest, cold heat, winter, summer, day and night. And then in verse 7, he says, Now you will have many children and repopulate the earth. Yes, multiply and fill the earth. That's the background. That's Noah and the ark. That kind of takes us right up to where what Jimmy read to you before. I'm not going to recap that, but I just want to touch back on really about the last part of what he read. And it's this, where God said to Noah, this is a sign of my covenant with all the creatures of this earth. I like that. I am making a covenant. Now, as you read your scriptures, there's all kinds of covenants in the Bible. Sometimes there's a contract, you know, an agreement between two parties, for example. It'd be like if Bobby and I made this thing, and I'll say, Bobby, I'll give you, uh, you do this and I'll do that, but if you don't keep your end of the bargain, I'm not going to keep my end of the bargain. That's a kind of a contract, a <clears throat> covenant. But that's not the kind that God made here. The kind of agreement that God's making is this. He says, I am giving you my word. No matter what happens, I will never, ever destroy the earth and everything that's living in it. I want you to think back for a moment, back to chapter 8 that I read to you before. It said that people's thoughts and people's actions are bent on evil. I mean, even from childhood. Now, I know it's kind of hard to believe when you see a little baby that... Their mind is bent on evil. But that's the way we're born. We are, we are conceived and born into sin, the Bible says. And in spite of that, he saying pretty much acknowledging that that the world is probably going to get messed up again because of sin. He says, I'm going to make an agreement with you. This time he said, I'm going to deal with you in a totally different way. And what I want to do in our time remains, just to share three ways. There's three things we need to keep in mind. Here's the very first thing. First of all, God's covenant. This never-ending covenant with Noah reminds us that God has put the ball in our court. Put the ball in our court. Anybody ever remember singing a song by a guy named Laurie London? He's got the whole world in his hands. Okay, those of you who remember, we're going to sing I'll get a score, okay? He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands. Then it goes off. He's got you and me, brother. In his hands, he's got you and me, sisters. In his hands, he's got you and me, brother. In his hands he's got the whole world in his hands don't you feel better for doing that <laughs> yeah you know, that's certainly true I, I remember that song I think I was in grade school and that was number one song you know back in the Stone Age I and mean, kids in the back they don't know what that song's all about but see God does have the whole world in his hands God is in control but there's a sense in which God has actually put the world and the control in our hands. He says that he will not intervene in the future the same way he intervened in the past, no matter what direction this takes. He's saying, I know how people are, I know the condition of their hearts, but I'm going to let human history now run its course. Now, what does that mean? That means that sometimes there is going to be evil on the loose. There are going to be people who devote their lives to doing nothing but evil. There are going to be people like Hitler and Stalin and Amin and Hussein and Ahmadinejad. All those kinds people. There are going to be oppressive regimes. There will be persecutors, and the world is going to suffer their actions. But at the same time, there's also going to be good on the loose. There will be people who devote their lives to doing nothing but good. And because of their devotion, the world is going to actually become a better place. That's kind of why God put the ball in our court. See, God's covenant with us, never again to destroy the earth and all these things, means that we are now responsible for making this place safe and and secure and making a, a better community here right now. We're responsible for taking care of one another. That's what God asks us to do, take care of one another. We're responsible for helping the weak. We're responsible for standing up to the truth. Now, what does that mean to you on a personal level? Well, it also means that God will allow your life, your individual life, just to run its course. He's going to let your decisions run their course. He's put the ball in your court. It's up to you to take responsibility for your life in the direction it goes. Now, when people do things that aren't right in the sight of God, guess what? God does not come down and squash them like a bunch of bugs. He gives them the freedom to make their own choices. He gives them the responsibility, then, of also living with their consequences. Now, I know a lot of people who would really like God to be a mean God who would sit up on a throne with a giant thunderbolt in his hand, a big lightning bolt, and that every time somebody did something bad, that God would just go... BAM! You know, just smoke them right where they sit. But they don't want that to happen, by the way, when they get caught in sin. Uh, Instead, when they get caught, they say, Oh, God, why didn't you stop me? Well, the answer is he doesn't stop us because his never-again covenant means that he's placed the world in our hands, our lives in our hands. We're responsible for what we do. Here's the second thing his covenant teaches us. That it, and it said God is willing to give us a second chance. Before uh, Noah lived, there was a guy named Enoch. And uh, we don't know much about him. And about all we do know about him, we find in Genesis chapter 5, it said that he lived about 365 years. And I think in the old King James Version, uh, it said that you know, Enoch walked with God and then was no more for God took him. I remember reading that when I was a kid. I was like, what? <laughs> He's 365 years old. He's not having to walk with God. And then it's almost as if God says, Enoch, you know, we're closer to my house than yours. Let's go home. He obviously was a, a, a pretty good guy. Now, when you stop and think about it, he could have done this with Noah, right? I mean, Noah was like the last good man on earth. The rest of the world was, as God said, totally evil. God could have said, you know something, Noah? You know, we kind of come to a stopping point here. Why don't we just call it quits? How about you and your wife and your three boys and their wives? Why don't you just come with me tonight, and then we're just going to put an end to this altogether. Now, guess what? God could have done that, but God didn't. Instead, he said, let's try it again. We're going to give you a giant do-over. Do you ever get a do-over in life? Kind of a neat thing. Though Noah and his three, through Noah and his sons and his three sons and their wives, the human race was literally given a second chance. And he did this, I'm going to say it again, even though God knew that people's thoughts and actions are bent towards evil from childhood. He knew that Noah and his family couldn't make a perfect world. But he was willing to give them a second chance to make a better world. Now, we know that way back in Genesis chapter 1, that when God created the human race, he had a plan for his creation. His plan was that from Adam and Eve on, that everybody would come to uh, learn to love him and honor him and serve him and obey him and glorify him. But what do we know? His creation has rejected him over and over and over again again yet God has chosen not to close the door on them. God continues to love people. It's a love that knows no bounds. You all know John 3, 16. It probably recited forwards and backwards. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so through Noah, God gives the human race a second chance. Through Jesus... He gives you a second chance. Now, I told you that night when we were looking at the story of Judas, I don't know, I I got a little bit of reaction on this, not only from people who heard this message, but I got it from people who listened to it online, when I said, who is the person in this church most likely to be a Judas? Remember that question? And I said, the answer is me. If I fell, people would go, oh my gosh, the pastor? But see, if we don't see ourselves in that story as capable of falling, we miss the point. You know, I think about this story here, the the point here, don't make the mistake of reading about Noah and only seeing the part about bad people being destroyed. That's not the point of this story at all. The point of this story is that God is, was not willing to give up on people. He wasn't ready then. God is not ready now. He will give you a second chance whenever you need a second chance, and he will give you a second chance even when you need more than one second chance. I mean, God is a God of mercy. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God of second chances and third chances and the God of new beginnings, and that's included in the covenant that he made with Noah. Here's the third thing. He's also willing to put that promise in writing.
1: I don't know if you've ever made a business deal with someone who wanted to come to
0: an agreement with you but didn't want to put it on paper. Now, I go back to the days when I watched my grandpa make handshake deals in a bar in Staples, Nebraska. But I know we're not living in those days anymore. In fact, you know, a lot of people... You know, if they were saying to you today, well, we don't need a contract. After all, we're just friends. I'll tell you, that's about as bogus as saying, let's live together. We don't need to bother to get married. You know, or they say that, well, we can make a deal because after all, we're brothers in Christ. We can trust one another. And I think anybody who's ever heard those words spoken knows what often happens next. The deal gets changed. Uh, promises aren't kept. Somebody's left holding the bag. It's one of the first lessons that entrepreneurs learn. Don't do business with anyone who isn't willing to put it into writing. Now, when God made this covenant with Noah, this is what he said in verse 13. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my permanent promise to you and all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will be seen in the clouds, and I'll remember my covenant with you in everything, and with everything that lives. Now, I hope you understand what God is saying there. He doesn't need that rainbow up there to remind him of his promise. It's not as if without the rainbow, God forgets one day and decides to wipe out the whole face of the earth. What God is saying is the rainbow is my signed contract to you. It's there for you to see and to make sure I'll see it too. So every time it rains, it's as if I am signing my signature in the sky. You see the rainbow, and you know I'm going to keep my promise. See, God's put all kinds of other promises in writing. We find them scattered throughout the pages of the Bible. And just like you can trust God when he says, never again will there be a flood that will destroy all life, you can, you can take God to the bank on every other promise that he's written because he's got to put it here in writing. You can trust him when he says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can trust him when he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can trust him when he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we can trust him because he's made these promises to his people and he's put them into writing. Again, I'd ask, now what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? I'll tell you what it means to me. When I read through my Bible and I come across the promise, a promise of forgiveness, a promise of mercy, a promise of hope, a promise of strength, a promise of wisdom, a promise of salvation, or a promise of healing, or prosperity, or blessings, or whatever, you can believe That what God says to you is true. And you can claim it for yourself. Most of you know that my life verse is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's the promise of God. The promise is, and I will make your path straight. I would like the path of my life to be as straight as possible. But they say the shortest distance between two places is a straight line. My path from where I stand to heaven, I want to be as straight as possible. I don't want to deviate off of that path. And all God says is to do what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Got a straight path ahead of you. God said it. God promised it. He put it in writing. God has never, ever failed to make good on a promise. I don't know what you think when you see a rainbow, but i suggest to you that you can remember that our God is a God who keeps his promise. That is so firmly planted in my mind that I can't see a rainbow anymore today without saying God has kept his promise. A number of years ago, when our son was looking for a college to go to, we were up in Canada. We were cutting across somewhere outside of Stratford, Ontario. We stayed at a bed and breakfast, a farmhouse, out in the middle of this beautiful wheat field, and it rained that afternoon, and as we drove into the town of Stratford, we parked the car and got out, and there was a rainbow on the main street. You could look down main street, and I could see where the rainbow started, and it went right over the top of us, and I could look down the other end of the street and see where it ended. Now, there are a lot of people standing out there looking at that and says, wow, ain't that cool? And I'm the one who say. Thank you for your promise. That's what a rainbow is all about. God keeps them. He keeps his word. Anybody know Kermit the Frog? (laughs) Kermit the Frog one time sang, I'm not going to sing this for you, but he one time sang, Why are there so many songs about rainbows? I can't speak for anyone else, uh, but I can tell you why I like them. I mean, rainbows connect me always with the faithfulness of God. The rainbow symbolizes God's covenant with his people. Now, you and I, God has given us responsibility for the world that we live in. He's put the ball in our court, so to speak, and he's, he's promised to be patient with us. He's promised to be merciful. He's promised to be forgiving. He's promised to remain faithful. And if you ever need a reminder of that... Next time it rains, walk outside and see if you can't find that rainbow, his signature in the sky. And when you see that signature in the sky, you'll know his word is true, that he will never, ever give up on you. May God grant that for the sake of Jesus. Amen.